a Tricky Kid Media original presentation distributed by iHeartRadio. Hey, all you fans, marks, smarks, jobbers, cheerers, and jeerers. Get ready for an exciting bout of no-holds-barred fun. I'm Dana French, and this is Wrestling. Welcome to an exciting addition to the Tricky Kid Radio Podcast Network, where we take on all corners in the world of professional wrestling. We will be talking with legends from the past, the best talent of today, and rising stars of the future. Don't miss weekly post-show analysis, guest commentary, and live remotes from the matches with your host, a veteran of calling the action ringside, Roy Turner. Hey there, everybody. Welcome to uh, the final episode of 2022 as we take you all the way back 40 years to celebrate all that was in 1982 in the world of professional wrestling. Uh, as part of our, what we call the cross-pollination of our 1982 series that we would normally would keep on our main nostalgic show, Growing Up 80s and Groomed in the 90s. But there was so much more to talk about. 82 was just so impactful and pivotal and important and special for me. The music, the movies, the comics, the cartoons. I was eight years old at the time, so I, I see this as a kid. My favorite time as a kid where we lived everything. So I went, we, I, we, whatever, we went all out this year uh, with so many different episodes. I hope you'll check out across all of our different platforms. <clears throat> like I said, you know, primarily with Growing Up 80s, we did a million specials. Uh, specifically, again, you know, um, about where we live, the time. Then there's one now that's just about the movies. Uh, then there's one just about the about the comics and music and all kinds of great fun stuff. And we even did a 82 video game uh, live stream. We, we've done watch-alongs all year long. So wrestling was such a big, big deal for me. And it really was the first year that I really watched wrestling i'd seen a little bit of wrestling um sometime probably around in 81 but what this is going to primarily focus on in 1982 is mid-south wrestling it's the promotion uh back in the days the territories uh that was again you know this is back in the territory days uh, you know so this also predates you know wrestlemania that began in 1985 and then of course Vince McMahon's worldwide takeover in the late 80s that pretty much wiped out most of what we would call the territories now we just have these little indies uh, around and speaking of indies I wanted to thank everybody for coming out to our which of course is TSW Texas style wrestling for our big event that we had uh, <clears throat> excuse me on December the 14th uh, right here uh, outside of Dallas Texas such a great event. I hope you are subscribing and you've downloaded the TSW app. Just go to TSWplus.com or go to your app store and download TSW. Yours truly is calling the action alongside the great Bob Malden of Texas or Expedition Texas fame. And it's a great, great promotion with lots and lots of great talent, uh, including Rodney Mack, uh, alumni of WWE, and his wife Jazz and their uh, training school in San Antonio called uh, <clears throat> the Dog Pound Wrestling. Great, great stuff. Okay. Leroy McGurk, 
uh, is <laughs> it's a Mid South has such a great great history. So let me just say this: Mid South wrestling is primarily what we're going to be talking about because that's what I watched. That was that was the show that came on on Saturday mornings at eleven a.m. And when we talk about territories, of course, you know, if you're listening to this, you're a wrestling fan, probably an older wrestling fan, you know what that means. It basically covered Oklahoma, Texas, Arkansas, Louisiana, and I believe Mississippi. And uh, the second one uh, that we're going to be, that I also watched around this time, that probably even had their most important events, or specifically one. Uh, you know, event that is infamous throughout all of professional wrestling. And I'm talking about world-class championship wrestling based out of here in Dallas, Texas. Now, keep in mind, I grew up in Little Rock, Arkansas for the first 13 years of my life. So from 74 to 87, we were in Little Rock. So for me, I never got to, you know, I wish I could tell you that I grew up going to the Sportatorium and, and you know, and I saw the Von Erichs and was there for all those early great, you know, feuds with the Freebirds and all that, but I, I wasn't. But I was obsessed with it. Uh, and also, it's like, you know, you always want what you can't have. And back then, in order to see world class, if you lived in uh, Arkansas, where I did, you had to have cable television. And we were poor. We didn't always have cable. But my friend Tommy Woodward did, and shout out to Tommy. And he was the biggest Von Erich fan. And so, uh, and he was about four years older than I was. He was like, he was 12 and I was eight in 82. And I would go over for sleepovers at his house. Just those, just those unforgettable memories of, of, of childhood that you'll just, that just seem to only get more greater and more special as you get older. And you just, you just cherish of going over to his house. And watching world-class championship wrestling. And it just, you know, the production value was even better uh, than Mid-South. And it seemed to be a little bit more exciting. But it's also kind of like a Marvel DC thing. I felt very, very brand loyalty to Mid-South. And not that you couldn't watch or like both. But there was just like, yeah, this is cool. But I'm a, I'm a Mid-South guy. And Tommy liked Mid-South, but he was heart and soul a world-class guy and you know you know 1982 i was we were we had our own little federation it was only us in it we would wrestle each other and and we would make those homemade belts and you know you've probably seen that one picture of john cena holding up a, a homemade belt and it was just the best man it was just but world-class definitely seemed to have it going on a little bit more then, you know, the crowd seemed to be bigger and louder and, and it just, you know, you, didn't, you know, you had the Von Erichs, you know, fighting their way to the ring like they were the Beatles. When women just literally, without exaggeration, literally tearing their clothes off trying to get to them. Just wild, wild west shit, man. It's awesome, awesome stuff. So, you know, so, you know, that's, that you know, if there was wrestling in 82, you know, back then WWF would have been also essentially a territory, the, the, the New York territory. And there was no way we were getting that down here, even on cable television. And if, you know, I remember it, it sprouting up around maybe 84. And if it was around and available in 82, I certainly wasn't on our radar. Um <clears throat> 
And then, you know, 82 was also the first year I, I saw my first live event at the Barton Coliseum in Little Rock, which was a Mid-South thing. You know, the, you know, world class, to my knowledge, they weren't traveling up to Arkansas. If they were, it, again, was not on my eight-year-old radar. Uh, but Mid-South came on every Saturday and they came to town, it seemed like, like once a month. It was like, you know, it seemed like every third or fourth episode the commercial, you know, they'd be talking about something else, and they would go, you know, and, you know, next Saturday we're going to be at Barton Coliseum, and it'd be, and this was, you know, Jim Ross. Jim Ross hadn't come in in 82 yet. Uh, he, 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 that came later, but this is also where Jim Ross, again, you know, got his, his start. So, so what's pretty cool is that if you wanted to kind of find out more about what I'm talking about here, is that here's something really, really cool. If you remember, you know, the WWE Network has now folded into Peacock TV. It's only five bucks a month. If you're a wrestling fan, you, you got to have this, man. It's five bucks a month. And they finally, when I first bought the WWE Network, I was under the impression that they were going to have all of the world class and all the Mid-South stuff. As much as I love wrestling, to me, that's wrestling. And so that will always will be what I love. And uh, and they didn't, and, and they they and Mid South was something that was very very elusive all these years. It, you know, there were no YouTube clips, there was no home video, nothing. And I, I I heard a story somewhere about why that you know whoever owns the the catalog, I guess like Bill Watts's ex wife, or I, I don't know what, but they were like the lone holdout. And I remember that Mid South, that WWF issued like one like. DVD collection of uh, quite a few years ago had a handful of matches on it and kind of like a a current look back kind of deal you know kind of half baked but you know I want to see it so what's pretty cool is that now most of if not all of the episodes are now on uh, the WWE part of Peacock just go to the territories tab and click on it so what we've been doing is is been reliving that whole thing this entire year i wish i had thought about it and and did it last year mid-south didn't even really really take off until 82 anyway and i I know there's only like a handful of 81 episodes there same thing with with world class who actually pretty much began in 82 so but so what, what we would do is is that every week on saturdays uh we watch uh Mid-South, and it's the corresponding week. You know, there's 52 episodes, 52 two weeks. So, like, for example, if, if you know, this coming Saturday, which, of course, is uh, coming up is going to be <laughs> New Year's Eve, was December 31st, We and there was an episode of Mid-South for December 31st, 1982, we'd be watching it this Saturday. See my point? Like, if it was April 3rd, we would watch the corresponding April 3rd, 82, that week. And we've been doing it all year long, and it's been so much fun. And on Sundays, we do the exact same thing, but with world class. So, and then we kind of been reporting what our findings are in in a little, you know, little little tweets on our Twitter feed. Excuse me. Which is, <clears throat> excuse me. This is wrestling without the G. This is wrestling. The ad symbol. This is wrestling. W R E S T L I N on Twitter. I hope you're following along. We're having so much fun with this. So, okay, so that's the intro. That's what we've been doing. That's going to set you up. And so I'm going to walk you through a people's history 
of growing up 80s in the South in 1982, watching these two promotions. And stick around, we're gonna have a great time today. Okay, once again, I hope everybody had a great holiday. I wanted to tell you that our this week's uh, beer, of course, is a holiday-themed beer from Rars & Sons right here in Fort Worth, Texas. And I'm enjoying their Bourbon Barrel Age Winter Warmer, which clocks in at 11%. So it's a, it's a big boy beer, and it'll keep you warm, I assure you. Wanted to thank Rars & Sons for uh, providing us with this week's beer, and thank you very much for that. So... Again, let's get back to to tell you some some beginnings about about Mid South. Um, so Leroy McGurk uh, had run had owned this thing called NWA Tri State since the nineteen fifties for almost thirty years from like nineteen fifties to, to nineteen seventy nine, and he was blind, and he was blinded in, in a nineteen fifty auto accident, and he took over promoting a wrestling circuit again, you know, covering Oklahoma, Louisiana, Mississippi. Until around like 73, I mentioned Cowboy Bill Watts, who had been one of NWA Tri-State's most popular wrestlers. He left Tri-State for Eddie Graham's championship wrestling from Florida. Of course, everyone knows the famous Florida championship wrestling that eventually became NXT uh, for WWE now. And anyway, um, (coughs) Watts comes back in 1975. And so around 79, Bill Watts bought Tri-State Wrestling Territory from Leroy McGurk and rebranded it, of course, Mid-South Wrestling. Uh, what's pretty pretty awesome is that he, he, Leroy actually had a daughter, a good-looking blonde gal, and, but her name was Mike, Mike McGurk. And she was like a referee or like a ring announcer, and like Leroy was this crazy guy. Jim Ross would tell stories about him like pointing a gun blindly, People trying to date his daughter and all kinds of funny shit. Uh, anyway, but so now we have Mid-South Wrestling, officially basically starting in 1979, like I said. Uh, one of the first things that Bill Watts did, however, as owner was to withdraw the company from the NWA. Now, for whatever reasons he had behind that, I don't have any support for that other than like what, what made world class seem to be bigger and better and more important or more at stake or just more prestigious was because they were part of the NWA. So it meant that the NWA touring champion was going to tour all the NWA territory. So that's where you're going to see like Ric Flair and that type of deal, which we're definitely going to get into uh, in this episode. Uh, again, I, I guess maybe he's from his time in the NWA Tri-State. He didn't want nothing to do with it. I don't really know his, know his motivation. Uh, but but they still seem kind of loosely aligned, um, you know, with NWA throughout, you know, time. Every once in a while, you would see, you know, an NWA star um, on the program. And we say 1979, but it really wasn't until 82 that, that Mid-South expanded to Arkansas, where I was. And then, and then Oklahoma... Uh, when Leroy McGurk closed his own kind of Oklahoma-based promotion, uh, McGurk had formed this alliance with Paul Bosch, of course, down in Houston. 
and and you know to kind of feature mid south talent on shows uh, you know in in that area and kind of breaking into Texas a little bit more, and then but you know when I think of mid south though when you watch the show it seemed I think that the the actual live shows it's not like WWF where it was coming from a different you know major arena every week it was just kind of like mid you know uh, world class had their kind of home base venue, which was largely the Sportatorium, this little barn downtown Dallas. So in the bigger shows would be held at the at the arena, the bigger arena, the old Reunion Arena, uh, which was in downtown proper. But South, I think they came from this boys club at a Shreveport. It seemed like, I mean, I think every episode you ever saw of Mid South came from that, that home base there. Uh, and it was first housed in the studios of, of KTBS TV, but then they, they moved in '82. This is again where this is important, but in '82, to the Irish McNeil Sports for Boys Clubs uh, that was also said in Shreveport, but it was there on the Louisiana State Fairgrounds, so they could get a lot of walk-ins as well. People attending the fair and things things like of that nature. But in terms of availability, like I said, you know, it really starts with. In terms of your, your access, if you have a Peacock account, is I guess they consider seventy nine to be season one, uh, eighty to be season two. N- none of that stuff is available on the WWE network or on the Peacock thing, whatever. And I'm not even sure it, it, it that catalog even exists. So it starts really with season three, which of course was last year in 1981, but it's only the final month of December. It's it, literally it's only four episodes, so again, not really much, much either. Season four, that's where we start uh, again with January the sixteenth, and it runs for forty-eight episodes all the way through nineteen eighty-two, and just so many uh, you know great talent that you saw come through there. A couple of things that really struck me by watching this stuff again, because again, it's not like something that I had access to. Like I mentioned, you know, when at the very beginning of the show, that this stuff wasn't on YouTube or had VHS releases. Almost all these memories had, you know, lived in my mind. So of course, I was shocked by how poor the production value was and the production quality and and things like that. It's like you know, I would have had no concept of that in 1982 to age eight. And, you know, obviously it looks, you know, pretty poor by comparison today. But I think even by those days' standards, I think it was very, probably very poor. But the takeaway I really got from it was two things. One is that Cowboy Bill Watts, who I always, you know, really looked up to and admired. I'm sure he's got his own issues and problems. And I've heard things about him later that I really did really disliked but for all intents and purposes of this episode we're gonna stick with how i felt about bill watts in 82 okay and uh and you know and what my takeaway was this was that he because they don't have the use of replay or monitors and things like that is that he would actually have to like tell you like what happened like we're having this match today that you are going to see because of this incident over here that we can't show you that you're just going to have to take my word for. So, I mean, there's a good chance that what he was saying never even actually took place. How's that for saving money? 
I mean, literally. I mean, what an amazing difference in terms of storytelling. But the positive thing I liked about it is it forces you to listen. And once you start listening to the story, you're way more invested. You're just not casually watching while you're washing dishes or fast forwarding through the matches you don't like. You are forced to sit there and listen to this man who's you know who's captivating in his storytelling and his passion for it. So he's like, you know, we're having this today because this over here happened, and let me tell you why it happened and what went down. And you're just totally invested in, and you believe him. And I didn't even think about it. Like, my goodness, like that may not have even happened. Like he can just talk and save money instead of actually having to pay these wrestlers to put on this exhibition. Uh, it was just, it was incredible to me. Um, but I also was, you know, I couldn't believe how how poor, you know, some of the wrestlers were and guys I don't even remember that were you know being booked in these televised big matches guys like Bob Roop no no disrespect but I was just like who the hell is you know Bob Sweetan and Bob Roop and uh you know quite others but so many people were really getting their footing here at this time you know Ted DiBiase uh this is where his whole thing with the Rat Pack he was a heel Along with it, with a with a heel hacksaw, Jim Duggan. I remember that that whole Rat Pack thing. Matt Bourne, who went on to be, of course, Dink, uh, Doink the Clown, whatever. And these great battles, of course, with JYD, Junkyard Dog, who there in Louisiana, especially was a freaking superstar, man. Uh, but you know, you, you look at this, and so many people, even like, like Paul Warndorf, was part of the, of the promotion uh, at this time. This is when Skander Akbar, who. That was what was kind of cool for me because when you watched Mid South, you only saw Mid South people. You weren't seeing Junkyard Dog, and you know Hacksaw Jim Duggan and, and and Teddy Biasi on the World Class program, but you were seeing Skandar Akbar on both, and that was something I don't know, kind of worldly to me about that. And and you know you would hear about Kamala, you know from World Class when when Kamala came to. Mid South, you know that was that was a big deal. Dick Murdoch was doing his whole Marine uh, gimmick at the time, but also you know the, the Wild Samoans. Roman Reigns' dad uh, was a part of this at this time. Um, you know, so many you know uh, other just great great talents really got their footing here. Uh, on May 29th, Doctor Death Steve Williams makes his debut. Um, and uh, let's see here. Just so many great memories I have of, of going and, and again going to see this live. You know, a half a dozen times a year as, as, a, as a kid. I mean, even Andre uh, did a stint in Mid South in 1982. So they were able to attract and pay and, and you know these these major attractions uh, all around you know uh, the world. The probably one of the ones I remember the most also was. Uh, oh, and I mentioned how far you weren't seeing, um, you know, cross promotions. But I do remember Kevin Von Erich uh, in August on the August twenty first episode uh, made an appearance on Mid South. That was kind of a big deal. Uh, this is also where Mister Wrestling Two, you know, with that big knee lift, uh, starts getting his footing. Uh, and uh, but I remember the thing that probably sticks with me the, the most. Other than Kamala making his debut in October the 2nd uh, of that year, 
was the whole showdown with the Junkyard Dog and Mr. Olympia, of course, Tony Atlas, uh, with the Heel Rat Pack. And then they had this thing on the day before Halloween. Junkyard Dog and Mr. Olympia were to face Ted DiBiase and Jim Duggan, known as the Rat Pack at the time, in a Loser Leaves Mid-South match. And the Junkyard Dog returned under a mask as Stagger Lee. Uh, uh, an early appearance by, by Chavo Guerrero uh, in that uh, November. Uh, let's see here. Just, you know, just so many more. Um, let's see here. Uh, I remember in the December episodes, Kamala versus Mr. Wrestling 2, Hexel Jim Duggan versus Tony Atlas. Just such a great, great, great promotion. Uh, that I've got so many, many memories of. And this is really what shaped... You always go back to what you remember. You know what I mean? You always go back to your first. And so for me, this is what shaped my ideals of what wrestling is, what it was. And I will always just cherish, and to this day, just those storylines and the way they were told and how invested I was... I mean, this was my entire life, man, and what led me to become a, you know, a lifelong wrestling fan, which, you know, at age, you know, 48, 49 in a few months, uh, I have my own wrestling podcast on iHeartRadio, and and I call the action live uh, once a month for, you know, a, a major indie promotion, so this is, uh, you know, this is where it all started for me. So I have, I have a, so much respect and, and gratitude and such great memories of Mid-South Wrestling, uh, especially uh, that beginning that year in 1982. Uh, we'll take a quick break, and we're going to come back with now. We're going to have to do World Class Championship Wrestling, who had one of the biggest events in all of wrestling lore take place in 1982. Stick around. We'll be right back. Championship wrestling, and again, like I said, this was a brand new thing that was that literally began in 1982 in terms of as we know it as world class championship wrestling. And I mentioned, of course, you know what the access was for, um, you know, the episodes on the Peacock app for Mid South. Again, this starts season one, 46 episodes. It starts on January the second, 1982, of course, with Kevin and Carrie Von Eric. Um, versus Armand Hussein and Tim Brooks, um, and then Big Daddy Bundy, of course, later on, of course, King Kong Bundy versus the Monk. But before we get into all the world-class stuff, I wanted to give you some some, some fun little, little tidbits about 1982 in general uh, in the sport of professional wrestling. Uh, you know, when... You think about all the major events that happen. Most of them are in world class. So we're gonna, we're gonna. I'll get to that here in a second when we get when we get back to world class. But uh, just to kind of give you an idea, you know, Pro Wrestling Illustrated was, you know, was still 
um, you know, those things were like the Bible to me. I probably didn't, one of those probably didn't land in my hands until probably around 84. I can't claim I was reading PWI in 82, but definitely by 84, maybe 83, but 84 without, without question. And I read all of them. Um, Inside Wrestling, The Wrestler, all that stuff. But PWI was kind of, you know, they were all written by the same people. It was Stuart Sachs, Bill After, all that stuff. But the PWI Wrestler of the Year was Bob Backlund. Uh, most popular was Audrey the Giant. Most hated was Ted DiBiase. And that's, you know, I mean, that's out of Mid-South. I mean, this is a major thing. And you got Bob Backlund, WWF. Um, Andre the Giant, WWF, probably Ted DiBiase. Um <clears throat> is the most hated that's 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 a big deal wrestler of the year of course rick flair he was the nb world heavyweight champion uh but the feud of the year in pwi was ted dibiase versus the junkyard dog that's a mid-south deal um and the tag team of the year was stan hansen and ollie anderson that were in world class championship wrestling so you get what i mean and then most improved was jim duggan again mid-south uh, talking about a few birds here. A lot of people from the sport of professional wrestling are turning 40 this year. One of my all-time favorites. If now, if 1982 gave us anything, I'm so pleased that it gave us Maria Canellis. <laughs> I love her. I think she's one of the, the biggest and best talents this sport has ever seen. Just unreal gorgeous and just awesome. And I love her to death. Uh, let's see here. Who else was uh, is turning 40 this year? Jack Swagger is turning 40. Um, uh, Kota Ibushi is turning 40. Natty Neidhart, of course, we know her as Natalia in, uh, in WWE currently. Uh, let's see here. Of course, Damian Sandow, Nyla Rose, Damian Priest, Tony Khan, the AEW, AEW founder, is turning 40. And speaking of Ted DiBiase, even his son, Ted DiBiase Jr., is turning 40. Uh, so, so many people, uh, you know, were, you know, now that are a, f- a big part of professional wrestling all were born in 82. Lots of also uh, debuts. Sherry Martell made her debut in 82. Um, so did Al Snow. I mentioned Dr. Dead Steve Williams earlier. Uh, Arn Anderson started his career in, in 82. Billy Jack Haynes, Road Warrior Animal, that November, and um, so many others. Uh, there were a few retirements, of course. The original Nature Boy, uh, Buddy Rogers, he retired. Fritz Von Erich, of course, the, 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 the patriarch of the Von Erichs in WCW, I mean, World Class Championship Wrestling, WC, WCCW who we're going to be talking about his retirement match, by the way, that took place uh, not far from here at Texas Stadium in front of a, a massively wild crowd. Uh, and then, unfortunately, there were uh, you know a few deaths, probably most notably uh, the grandfather of Dwayne The Rock Johnson, Peter Maivia, died at the young age of only 45 years of age in 1982. So... You can see what I mean when I tell you about, you know, the, the, the changing of the guard and things like that. So so the very, very first probably major event in 1982 all around, but it's, but of course for, for, uh, for uh, world class, 
uh, was what they called Wrestling Star Wars. <laughs> I don't know how the hell he did, he didn't get sued for that. You know, I mean, calling it Wrestling Star Wars. And for oddly, this was not held at either the Sportatorium or Reunion Arena. It actually was held at the Convention Center uh, in Fort Worth. Uh, don't quite have, have an, an attendance uh, mark here, but the 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 bout the only thing that really uh, you would say here is Jose Lothario. Of course, you know he went on to be a, a great mentor. Was on the card, um, and again Fritz von Erich versus the Great Kabuki. I remember my friend again shout out to Tommy Woodward. He was so obsessed with this guy, the Great Kabuki, because he would spit this green mist, and he just seemed like from like another world. And Kevin and Carrie Von Erich uh, versus, this is when Gary Hart was still wrestling. He wanted to be a, a great, great heel manager. But it was him and King Kong Bundy in a Texas Death Steel Cage match. And, uh, I mean, uh, you know, imagine uh, that, right? <laughs> and, you know, and I would say that, uh, excuse me, that, you know, the, the next big major show uh, that they had, like I mentioned before, was the Fritz Von Erich retirement show where he, his final match was against, and he defeated King Kong Bundy for the title in a Falls Count Anywhere match. And this was for the NWA Heavyweight Championship. And so he wins it and retires. I remember in his retirement, he goes, yeah, son. His kids are on. He goes, yeah, son. He was just too stupid to not to to tap out, you know, sooner or just it's something, something so Fritz von Erich, uh, if you will. But uh, let's see here, and then uh, let's see here. So, you know, there was so many more uh, names. I'll tell you this: the thing that I really my takeaway of watching, because I saw all forty six episodes. So by the time we were done, because we're gonna do this, we're gonna do the same thing next year, and 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 on and on. There's seven full seasons, so that goes on to eighty three, four, five, six, seven. It goes all the way to nineteen eighty eight. That's almost the entire span of the eighties. So as long as I'm doing this show, I'll be doing this. And how cool is that? That I've I've always wanted to be able to say or see or revisit all of these old episodes, you know. But the thing I took away from it was this, is that I can remember feeling how, again, better and more special and more prestigious that world class seemed. And of course, looking back on it and singing it again, it does seem like, wow, this is pretty poor and everything else. But the thing that, that I take away from it was that I'm really, really impressed with Bill Mercer. Like, you don't realize he's a single man team in 1982 he is the storyteller you know the commentator is not a team it's one guy and god he's good now i've gone on to work with mark lawrence a few times he, of course he was the ring announcer and i loved mark lawrence back in the day these this day and age not so much I, i've he's like this this total zealot preacher guy that's not a whole lot of fun to be around, but back then I I thought he was a goddamn celebrity. I you know even and he got he got it done because you had to trust that he was like Gene Okerlund. He was your point of contact, so you had to trust him, and I trusted him entirely. But the thing that I took away from this, and I hate saying this, is that it just goes to show you, like maybe I mean everyone has, is green at some point in their careers, and they have to learn. But when you see these Von Erics 
trying to cut these promos besides Kevin. It's almost like, God, this is so dark because we all know, of course, later what happened with the Von Erics. Uh, they're, they're actually filming a, a movie right now in Baton Rouge, Louisiana called The Iron Claw about the Von Erics. Uh, Zach Efron, I think, plays Kevin Von Erich. And what's pretty cool about working in TSW is that some of the original world-class guys, uh, you know, that were referees or producers like David Manning um, and guys like that all work for us. So I get to work with those guys and sit under the learning tree and hear these stories and ask them directly. It's such a wonderful gift for me, you know. And I think next year when we do our 83 episode, very similar to this, I'm going to have one of those guys come on and tell you some of some of those stories firsthand that were actually there. And if I had thought about it previous, if I had time, I probably would have done it for this year, actually. But, you know, it pains me to say this, but it just goes to show you, like, these guys, again, besides Kevin, seem to be so inarticulate. Especially David. Now, see, we'll get into this later because, you know, we all know, you know, David was the first, essentially, of the wrestlers to go. Unfortunately, Fritz and his wife uh, even lost a child uh, at an early, at a young age. Their firstborn, Jack, named after Fritz von Erich, Jack uh, Atkinson Jr. or whatever. And, um, and, you know, so I didn't really... You know, it's like I have memories of seeing World Class in 82, but my memories really of World Class was of the Memorial Show from 84. I'll never forget, again, I don't want to preempt this because when we get to an 84 episode, but Tommy Woodward, run, he lived across the street from the apartment complex that we lived in called Greybeck, and I hope you will visit our Greybeck episode that we talked about 82 this year, comes running over to tell me, that Kerry Von Erich had won the won the NWA World Heavyweight Championship from Ric Flair at the David Von Erich, you know, Memorial Yellow Rose of Texas, uh, you know, Memorial Parade show. Now, so in my mind, I don't have a lot of memories of David Von Erich. So this is so I'm watching him all year, and he's clearly the biggest star. Out of them, like, I mean, they love Carrie, they love Kevin, but David's a big freaking deal here. Mike doesn't doesn't come up until later, and he's he's not that great in the ring. He, I hate to say this, but he's not that great in the ring. He cannot cut a promo. I don't. I don't even. You know, I'm I'm as hetero as it gets. So I don't. I'm not seeing the appeal here. Other than he's just kind of part of this. Dynasty, and what I'm getting at is that Fritz was so determined to, to turn these kids into what he wanted. I wonder how many of them actually wanted to do this. You know, I guess they wanted to please their father, and of course, they're you know, it's fame and their money, and having to get some straight job and shit like that. But I don't know. It just it made me kind of like sad, kind of going, God, this isn't really, this isn't very good. And even though the production value is leaps and bounds better than Mid-South, at times it's not as watchable. Like I said, you had the Bill Watts when the storytelling, and you had these these great angles. A lot of the world-class stuff, the way it's directed, they use an establishing shot for the climax. Uh, the referees seem to be inept. What made it really special 
again was the you know obviously the talent in the ring but the crowds were just so white hot and primarily for these von erics uh they did another uh wrestling star wars forgive me uh in that august uh there at the end of the summer there and this time uh all this also was held at the convention center in fort worth texas once again, featuring Jose Lothario. Uh, let's see here. Kevin and David uh, uh, Von Erich defeated the Great Kabuki and Magic Dragon uh, for the All-Asian Tag Team Champions. I didn't know that was even recognized in there. King Kong Bundy uh, fought Harley Race. for At that time, Harley was the, was the NWA Heavyweight Champion. And then, because uh, he, you know, he hadn't lost it yet at that point, of course, to Ric Flair... And this is where, speaking of which, Rick faces Kerry Von Erich for the first time, and they wrestled to a draw at one win apiece before being double, <clears throat> double disqualified, and this best two out of three falls match uh, for the NWA Heavyweight Championship. Um, I don't know how, how that would work then, because if King Kong Bundy fought Harley Race for the NWA Champion. Okay, okay, I think maybe, was there a separate title? Was there an, an American heavyweight champion? And then there was a world heavyweight? I, I, I don't, I don't, I don't quite know. I, I, I should have, I should know that beforehand, right? Uh, let's see here. Uh, but I wanted to tell you a little bit about the history uh, of world class. It actually was originally known as big time wrestling. Now, big time wrestling went, I, I think is is separate from the, the big time wrestling uh, from California, this is actually where where WWE superstar Bailey comes from. Is from the big time wrestling promotion there, uh, out of California. But so by the end of '81, it was still big time wrestling. It wasn't until January of again of 1982. Something was just going on that year, man. Of course, Jack Atkinson. Uh, of course, wrestled as of course as Fritz von Erich decided that the, that the name of his federation needed to be changed. Mickey Grant, who uh, headed the production of the, the telecast, then known known as Texas Championship Wrestling, he's the one who suggested the name World Class. And of course, they operated right here in Dallas, Texas. And I mentioned I mentioned of course Arena Arena and of course the famed uh, Sportatorium. But the biggest event. That they had not only in '82, but you know, I'm not saying that they peaked here because, of course, it would got much bigger and much better and everything on. But the thing when people talk about world class championship wrestling is something that celebrated its 40th anniversary just last week on Christmas night at Reunion Arena. In front of about 12,000 fans. The sports room could hold about, you know, like 3,500. Across the street over here at Reunion Arena can hold like 20,000. And 12,000 people here. Michael P.S. Hayes even tweeted about this. He goes, I can't believe it's been 40 years that the night that, that ignited what he said he considers. And I certainly agree with him. Many others would agree with him as well. As the greatest feud in the history of tag team wrestling. Which of course is the legendary Von Erich Freebird <clears throat> rivalry. Now I have zero memories of the Freebirds as being good guys, 
and being friends, as the storyline goes, with David Von Erich. And mentioning the Star Wars thing, they held a show called this now called Christmas Star Wars. <laughs> that is only some backwoods, backwards, southern country 82 thing. Let's call the show Christmas Star Wars. But boy, did they get something out of it. Uh, because again, it is something of absolute lore. So let me tell you this, and this is what I did when I, I just watched this a couple of nights ago. Because again, I'm going in order. You know, I, 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 I went down the, you know, down the list starting from January uh, the 2nd. And every Sunday I've watched and again have reported what I saw on our Twitter feed, which is This Is Wrestling without the G at the end. Make sure you're checking that out. Uh, and we, you know, we finally got down to and, and, and how Wrestling, Wrestling Star Wars is actually airs as a two part special. It was on the 27th. And then, uh, and then last night, the 28th. And this is, of course, the showdown between Ric Flair and Carrie Von Erich. Now, uh, part one, of course, both happened the same night, is, you know, this is where the six-man thing comes in. Because, you know, the six-man being three-on-three, that was unique to world-class. I'd never seen that before. Really haven't seen it anywhere else really since the way. I mean, it was an actual title that recognized six-man teams. Uh, remember, three-on-three. Three. And it was supposed to be, of course, you know, the Freebirds, again, at the time being, you know, good guys, Michael Hayes, Terry Gordy, and Buddy Roberts. David Von Erich, being the connection, replaces Buddy Roberts. Michael Hayes gets on the mic and claims some type of travel issue. Maybe it was legit. I mean, why else would David Von Erich, you know, you know be there? Uh, and, you know, and they faced, like, uh, excuse me, like um, uh, Iron Mike Sharp. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to walk you through it. It was, um, let me see here. It was, yeah, it was Tom Steele and Mike and Ben Sharp is what it was. All right. So this actually was the second Christmas Star Wars that they had. It was on December 25th on Christmas night. And, uh, of course, the focal point of the short course was Fritz Von Erich's son, Carrie Von Erich, challenging Ric Flair now for the second time uh, of the year, who was now the NWA World Heavyweight Championship in the main event. And, like I mentioned before, Michael Hayes announced that due to bad weather, wrestler Buddy Roberts was not in the building. And then here comes David Von Erich, uh, you know, offering the team with the Freebirds. And I, I have no memories of that. I, that. That was almost like new to me. And they won the match in the championship, after which Von Erich David relinquished his part in the championship to Buddy Roberts. So I guess legitimately Buddy was not there. Um, <clears throat> but what happens this night, the most important thing, like I said, in, in their lore and maybe 80s wrestling period, is the match... Uh, between Ric Flair and Kerry Von Erich in a notice qualification steel cage match for the NWA Heavyweight Championship. Now remember, at the August Wrestling Star Wars, Ric Flair had managed to escape the match against Kerry. Excuse me, with the you know the title still still in his hands. Following the show, the storyline was that Ric Flair had offered a bounty to anyone who could injure Kerry Von Erich, and the Great Kabuki collected the bounty as he had hurt 
you know, Carrie's knee, but giving them a storyline reason to cover for his legitimate knee surgery. So now the rematch was made, but this time very 80s was inside a steel cage match. And Fritz decided to add a special guest referee to ensure everything was handled fairly. And they held a write-in vote to determine the referee, and the fans chose Freebird member Michael Hayes. And I didn't remember that either. So, like, while Ric Flair and Kerry are wrestling, Michael Hayes and another referee are all in the ring together. It was very weird. Instead of him being, like, the enforcer outside the ring or outside the cage or in a neutral corner. It was very strange. Very strange. And But the other referee he was alongside was David Manning, like I said, who I, who I would now work with. And if I had thought better about it, I should have invited David to come on here to talk about that match for this episode. So I kind of dropped the ball there, but I promise you for our 83 episode, we will have David and maybe even Beard and a few others from that timeline, or maybe even Michael Hayes himself. Who knows if WWE will let him. So after the introduction, Terry Gordy, of course, the other free bird, he, you know, comes ringside to hold the key that locks the steel cage door to ensure, you know, that no one could get in and attack Von Erich, who was supposed to be a close friend of the Freebirds. During the match, Carrie applies the iron claw to Ric Flair and held it for several minutes. But during the hold, Hayes thought that Flair had his foot under the bottom rope, a call that which David Manning disagreed with. But Hayes made Von Erich break the claw hold anyway. But here's where it was so obvious. Instead of being like, hey, man, you know, I'm just trying to call it down the middle. He, like, grabbed him and pulled him off of Ric Flair, almost to the point where Carrie seemed like he had forgotten the spot because Michael Hayes is literally having to, like, grab him by the neck, like, legitimately, and use his feet. It was like... Okay, this is already heel. This is you you have turned heel already. Like the big moment is supposed to come when Terry Gordy slams the cage door on Carrie Von Erich. And that that is what they claim or what they say officially launches the legendary rivalry of all time. But I it felt like Hayes turned heel in the match before then. You know what I mean? But then there was this weird moment where I guess maybe he realized what he had done and already, you know, he'd already had turned heel. He needed to kind of do some damage control. And so he goes and he hits Ric Flair, which, you know, of course, knocked him down and then kind of urges, uh, you know, Carrie to, to pin, you know, Ric Flair. But Carrie, being the honorable one, refused. He wasn't going to, you know, win like that, which pissed off Michael Hayes, I guess, storyline while. So this led to Hayes leaving the cage, and Carrie tries to stop him. And so he gets out of the cage, and as Carrie is coming towards the cage, Terry Gordy slams the cage around him. But when you're watching it, I don't know if it's clear that it was on purpose like this was this this was now the heel turn because i didn't you know i was watching it like it was almost like i was watching it for the first time it was like it, it, you know you could walk away from it kind of going oh well that was an accident you know like like when you see a spot where a tag team actually hits his own partner like it could have been quickly forgotten it, it wasn't done very well what i'm getting at um at least and then the angle that the, the, the 
TV audience is seeing is a wide establishing shot instead of being the ringside shot. So I hate to be so critical, but but regardless, I guess, you know, talk your shit now. Talk my shit now because it, it definitely worked. It's not like it didn't work. Uh, but, he, you know, he, he slams the door on Carrie, striking him in the, in the face. And that cemented that the Freebirds had just turned on their longtime friend. Hayes returned moments later and counted Von Erich's shoulders down, even though he clearly kicked out at two. That's what it says here. And that, 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 that whole thing felt very, uh, very, I don't know. <laughs> so David Manning ejected the Freebirds and announced that the match was now not over. Minutes later, Manning had no choice but to call for the bell as a bloodied Carrie Von Erich was unable to continue. So he gets to be like this. He was never pinned. He just got fucked, you know. Uh, but the circumstances around the match was the start of the storyline feud between the Freebirds and the Von Erich family that would last for the rest of the decade and has been like what was the focal point of the entire uh, promotion. You know, and and the legacy of of of, of all of that, uh, you know, great great talent. Uh, so that was our experience in 1982, and this was now my experience in 2022. Forty years later, thanks to the WWE Network as part of Peacock, going back and watching this each week. You know, I, I never I never binged. I never watched four in a row. I just did it like as if it, we were doing it in real time. And it's been so satisfying. And I encourage you to do the exact same thing. And hope that you will join us again when we start this in, uh, you know, for next year in 1983. The very first episode uh, is on January the 15th. And so let's see here. Which is actually a Sunday. Uh, so starting on, on January the 15th. We will be starting up again with World Class uh, on that Sunday, and we'll be reporting what we what we saw on that Monday, the next day on Twitter, which again, of course, is this is wrestling without the G. And let's see what uh, talking about uh, t- uh, territories here. Let's see when Mid South and their season four. I'm sorry, their season five actually starts on January 1st, 1983, which is this Sunday. So we're going to spend New Year's Day starting the year off right with the very, very first episode of 1983. How cool is that? We get to start from the very beginning of that year on the first day of 2023 and just keep on rolling. Again, thank you so much uh, for being a part of this special episode. It's our final episode Uh, of the year of 2022 we hope you had a wonderful holiday and a wonderful christmas and and holiday season and again like i said we uh spent this a couple days after the fact watching christmas star wars and uh, carrie versus uh rick flair and the whole free bird uh uh heel turn so whatever your plans are for new year's eve i i greatly appreciate you joining us uh here tonight as part of this and I hope you have a wonderful new year and and health and prosperity in the new year and we got so much fun coming up like I said January 1st mid-south 83 it begins 
And then uh, two weeks later on the 15th, uh, we'll be doing it. We'll start up with World Class Championship Wrestling. Again, I'm your host, Roy Turner. Merry Christmas and Happy New Year. We will see you in 2023. Ring the bell. That does it for us this week. We hope you had a slamming good time and be sure to join us next week for more in-ring action. This has been a presentation of Tricky Kid Media Originals, distributed by iHeartRadio, created and directed by Roy Turner, edited and mastered by Marcus Miller, theme music by The Buck Pets, original score by Jocelyn Hunt, artwork by Antora Sandy, marketing and PR by Francesca Miles, Tricky Kid Radio is hosted by Roy Turner with introductions by me, Dana French. Thanks for listening, and we hope you'll join us next week.